and welcome to a, another episode of G220 Radio. This is Mike, and I am riding by myself. Doing this again. Sorry for the late start as we, as I was just trying to get things prepped and ready for the show, and hopefully the show will be a good one for you. So this is episode number 476, and we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through the uh, through 27, not quite to the end of the chapter. And so, hope you will be able to stay with us and to join us as we look at and consider these verses. And it's always exciting to kind of go and read through the scriptures with it. Um, so to start off this show, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read read it. We should just hear it, know it understand it so here's John chapter 2 again we'll be looking at verses 18 through 27 John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit children it is the last hour and as you have heard the Antichrist is coming so now many Antichrists have come and you know this is the last hour they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, we would have continued with us, but they went out of us. And that they might be become plain, they, they're not, they were not of us. But you, who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have knowledge, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son also has, has the Father also. Let's let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard from the beginning abides in you, and you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. But... This is the promise we have made, he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you because those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that you should teach, no one shall teach you. But as the anointing teach te but as he anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just that it has taught you. And abide in him. So it was John, first John, chapter two, verses 17 through 27. And we see here in the simple title of the show, Antichrist, what does it mean to be an Antichrist? What does it mean that the hour is come? And how do we know and see? The Antichrist. Well, John starts this off very clearly, saying, Children, 
it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come. So John makes a declaration, this is the last hour. Now this is just, this isn't new. We hear this type of language throughout the prophetic language, prophetic writings of the Old Testament. And G.K. Beale thinks this is an allusion back to Daniel chapter 8, chapters 8 through 12. When we see these kind of end time prophecies coming, again, there's this idea of the last days coming. So here, John writing to us is making us think about and think through what are the last hour. And to consider then the importance of what he is about to say. This is the last hour. Now, as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So we see here that his readers have heard about this Antichrist. It is coming. And John's time, it is not here. But he has taught them, or they have been taught, that the Antichrist is coming. But not only is he coming, what we also have is that many Antichrists are already here. And the idea of Antichrist is simply that. It's one who opposes Christ. So there is the seemingly one Antichrist, and he will be coming. And yet there are others out there. So there is both one and kind of this idea of the many. And that we can maybe assume here in this passage that this one, this Antichrist, has others with him. Now, Antichrist is one term that is used. We also see this man of lawlessness. And I think we should consider then who these people are. They are ones who oppose Christ, and not just oppose Christ, as we'll see here later on, they teach falsely. So there, there's one way in which they oppose Christ is that they teach what is contrary to sound doctrine. But we also must consider in how even Paul talks about this when he talks about what false teachers do is they also bring an orthodox or they also bring ethics in which are also contrary contrary to the scriptures. And so that when we think of these antichrists, and we'll see exactly what John is meaning here in the later part of our passage, we should consider very much here that people are coming, even in John's age, John is coming and they're teaching false teachers. And so I think this is a very much a part in which we need to be on alert. Even Paul, as he writes to uh, Timothy in the last known letter that we have him towards the end of his life, he's facing execution 
And what is he telling Timothy? Preach the gospel because people have ears that want to hear what they want. They're going to gather teachers to fulfill their what they think is right, their desires. And we see that in progressive Christianity. We see that in cultural Christianity. And we see that even with atheists and agnostics and those who believe in other religions. They seek for themselves those who teach in what they want to believe. And so John, writing to his letters, writing to his readers, shows here, hey, look, the Antichrist is coming, but no, there are many Antichrists now, and we know there are many Antichrists now, as he continues on, is because it's in the last hour. Now, it's not a circular, circular reasoning here. Some people might say, where you say, well, we have these bones, so it must be in this area and it's in this area because we have these bones, kind of in an evolution, and kind of a, a circular reason in that way. No, what John is saying here and what his argument is, is he's telling us we're in the last days. Well, how do we know, John, we're in the last days? Well, it's because we have these many antichrists. The fact that there are antichrists proves to the point we're in the last days. So he declares what he's saying. He's telling us, look, there's Antichrist around. That is why we know. And again, this idea comes up throughout that latter part of Daniel in which people will come and arise and oppose. And here we see John equating that. But these aren't words that are just John. This is the teaching of Christ. There will become... There will be people who will come and say, look, there's a Christ, look, there's a Christ. And even so much that maybe deceive the elect. So even Jesus understands that there are going to be people coming in his name who teach falsely. Who teaches a doctrine that isn't according to scripture. Paul even mentions this also. The rise of false teaching shows us that we're in the last days. So he continues on about who these antichrists are. They went out from us, but they were never of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they were not of us. What we see here in John's letter is the idea of these false teachers. They were once part of this community. They are once part of the Christian church. They were once part of them, but they are no longer part of them. They have left. And when we think about kind of some of the themes that we've already seen in 1 John and the other podcast, is that John is really pressing in on this diet of what does it mean to have fellowship with God and with others? I mean, that's how he starts out the letter. And when we see here that John wants to proclaim what he has, has seen and what he has heard, he's told him to them, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So having the truth of the gospel is how we have fellowship with other Christians. 
But not only that, that fellowship is also with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then we also know that God is light, and those who do not practice light do not have fellowship with God. They don't abide in him. So when we th start thinking about what John is saying here, John is saying, look, these false teachers have not been with us. They've left us because they're not in fellowship with us. Well, how do we know they're not fellowship? The very fact that they have left means they're not part of us. This is what 19, verse 19 is saying. So they went out of us, but they weren't of us. They weren't, in a sense, we've kind of made this, they're not Christians, and they are. And I think we need to evaluate this a little bit in it. There is the the fact that they aren't Christians. They have never were Christians. And in one sense, they never really believed the gospel. And we know that because they've left us. Mass is really dealing with false teachers. But we can also see this application with those who have left the church, who have gone after the philosophies of this world. The man-centered thinking. But that doesn't mean that they don't have knowledge of what they might consider a spiritual conversion. They may, and even to think about, they may have genuinely have this kind of great joy in the Lord. I mean, this is what the parable of the sowers reacts. There are those who the seed hits and Satan takes the word and they just have a hard heart and they, they just don't have it. And then you have those who are plucked on or sowed on the rocky soil and they just have no growth. They just die. They fizzle out. But then you have those who, who are laying in the thorns and they grow and they seem to be zealous for the Lord. But the cares of the world chokes them out. They bear no fruit and they die. These are how we should look at these false teachers. And so much so that when we consider those who walk in the light and those who don't, there is a really a sense in which they are the ones who, who claim to have fellowship with him while walking in darkness. And so the fact that these false teachers went out from them indicates that they weren't of them. And we see this in John. John chapter 6, he feeds the, the crowds. It's one of the few stories in which all four Gospels talk about. But we get 
the rest of the story. John goes across and he has this hard teaching and many people leave him. His teaching saying, I am the bread. Eat me. And this idea that he is the word of God, he is the bread of life, and we are to go and be consumed with him and have our fill in him because men don't live by bread alone, but on every word of God. And so Jesus saying, eat me, I'm the bread of life, I'm the manna from heaven, come eat me and you'll have eternal life. And they're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, that is too much. That is just simply too much. And they leave him. They don't follow him anymore. He loses a lot of disciples. And when we consider what is happening there, we see that they weren't called to be disciples. Had they been called to be disciples, they have they would have remained just as the others. And just think that we have the 12, if we include Judas Iscariot, and yet when they picked another one, there were obviously more people than just the 12 that followed Jesus for his whole ministry. Matthias is what teaches us that. And yet, we see him persevere. And yet, those in John 6. And so when we consider now here these people, that they have left the church, they've left fellowship, and they've never had fellowship with God. It is. The reason they left is to make it plain they were not with God because well Jesus the shepherd and the sheep know his voice these are sheep that have come into the fold but were wrong with the wrong shepherd and so they left like Demas they desired the things of the world and they left and how do we know they were not of us is the very fact they live I mean don't we as Calvinists say this like, how do I know I'm elect? How that God has saved me? Well, it's because you ask these questions. The fact that you're concerned if you're the elect gives evidence, though it's not a bulletproof case, that you are elect. So again, we see here that... Those who left, the false teachers who have left, they weren't really of the community. They were not in fellowship with God. But the very all-important in verse 20, the but, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. Here, we see here that those who remain in the community are anointed by the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Well, it's Christ. He's the Holy One. 
those who have Christ's anointing is what he's talking about. So those in fellowship with God and then because they have fellowship with God, fellowship with other Christians who believe the gospel, the true types of Christian, they are anointed by Christ, by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. This idea of all knowledge comes from Jeremiah 31. We should consider this passage in reference to this. Jeremiah 31 is a important verse for the new covenant. I'm going to start in verse 31 and hear Jeremiah, the prophet of God, again speaking by the Holy Spirit, says, Behold, here's God speaking, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenants that I made with their fathers on the day in which I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was... I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their inequities, and I will remember their sins no more. So what is Jeremiah saying? Well, he's going to make a new covenant. He's going to make a new covenant with the people, and it's not going to be like the old one. It's not going to be like the Mosaic covenant, which the people could not withhold. They couldn't keep it. They needed something else. Now, we know that with Paul, that the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, was to help bring apart the New Covenant. And there's a connection there that we should not see, that the, the law is a pedagogy to us in the New Covenant. But... But we also see that this covenant affects the heart. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Here, Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about this idea of turning the heart of stone, which is another reference, Old Testament reference, into a heart of flesh. And so John, when we think about this, he is telling us, look, we know that these false teachers are not of us because they've left, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, by Christ's Spirit, as Paul say, would say in Romans 8, 3. And we also know when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, that this Anointing includes the coming of the Spirit on us and sealing us for the day of salvation. So we have been anointed by Christ, and that now that being in the new covenant, 
we have all knowledge. Well, how do we have all knowledge? Well, John has already told us this in the Gospels, that Christ will send the Spirit to us to teach us all things. Well, what dwells inside of us? Well, it's the Spirit who dwells inside of us. So we can have all knowledge because we have the third person of the Trinity in us, dwelling among us, that we can know all things. Because that's his job in the Christians. One of his jobs, one of his roles, as in this triune God, is to teach us the things of God, the things of the Spirit. So John continues in verse 21, I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And we should look at this and say, well, yeah, that makes sense. A truth cannot be a lie and a lie cannot be the truth because they're plural opposites. There is no kind of middle ground. Either it's fully true or it's fully lie. It is fully a lie. So John writes to them because they know the truth. They know it. And they know it because he's already come and proclaimed it to them. And they also have the Spirit in them telling the truth. They've been anointed by the Holy One. And they have all knowledge. So they know the truth already. They already have it. So who is the liar? Well, the one who denies that Jesus is, is the Christ. So now we understand this is not just vague truths and vague lies and what is truth and what is lie. But now John gives us what he wants us to understand what truths and lies are. There's more to it. The Bible explains all of this and what is orthodox theology, what is right teaching. But John wants us to understand specifically what he is talking about truth and the lie, and this is it. <clears throat> Those who, did not, who deny the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the one who has come, the Messiah, in the fulfillment of all Old Testament hopes. So these false teachers who have gone out from these people don't hold to the truth because they're not associated with the group. They don't have fellowship with God. They've gone out. Well, why have they gone out? Well, they've been teaching heresy. <clears throat> they've been teaching that Jesus is not the Christ. Well, of course they're not of us. Their teaching is wrong. Their teaching denies what the Bible says. It denies the work in which Christ has done. The fact that Christ rose from the dead. He lived an obedient life. So who is the liar? What's the one who denies Christ come? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. 
Now, he's going to flush this idea out a little bit more. So, again, the Antichrist idea comes back. So this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. This is an important connection. Who is the liar? Well, the liar is the one who denies that Jesus is Christ. Well, when you deny that Jesus is Christ, you not only deny Jesus, you deny the Father. If Jesus is not the Christ, you don't have the Father. So and he makes it more explicit in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. I think this comes important when we think about not universalism, even though they're wrong. I don't think this verse really helps. I mean, it does help us in a sense by saying that all are saved. But I think it is more pointed even with the inclusive position that someone can follow their religion and still make it to heaven. This idea kind of shows up a little bit, I think, in C.S. Lewis' final book in the Narnia series. And it's, and when we think about it, what does it mean to deny that to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ? I mean, we look at Muslim theology. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. And if I was an inclusivist and saying, well, if they, as long as they follow Allah, they will make it to heaven. Well, according to John here, they can't because they deny Jesus is Christ. They can't make it to heaven. This is how important because denying Christ denies the one who sent him. And John makes this very clear throughout his entire gospel that Jesus is the one who is sent from God. He comes to do the will of the Father. That the unbegotten has sent the begotten. And so whoever, so whoever denies it, denies the Son, um, does not have the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So you must make a right profession. You must believe in the that Jesus is the Christ and you also have the Father. And we've seen this pop up in 2nd and 3rd John. This idea of if you, like in 2nd John 9, if you believe in false teaching, you don't have Christ and you don't believe in God, and I think he's using it to reference the Trinity. But those who do believe have both the Father and the Son. So we see here that God is not, the persons cannot be divided. They work in one. Deuteronomy 4, 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. God is one. While he expresses, or, I mean, he expresses in three persons, he is three persons, 
the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all are the nature of God. God is one. So to deny the Son means you have to deny the Father. There's no other way. And then by consequence, you also deny the Spirit. These are very important understandings to know. Because if you don't have orthodox teaching on Christ, you don't have Christianity. You cannot be saved if you continue in that line of thinking. You must repent and come to Christ, the true Christ, the Christ as revealed by the Scripture through the Spirit. There is no other name under heaven given among men which we may be saved. So those who confess the Son have the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you, and what you have heard from the beginning, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So when we hold on to the gospel from what we've heard from the beginning, that Jesus Christ, being a perfect man, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death for our forgiveness by the hands of the Romans, suffering the wrath of God. He, as John said earlier in this letter, became the propitiation for our sins. He satisfies God's wrath. He was buried for three days, according to the scripture. He rose again on the third day, just as Jonah rose out of the sea and out of the mouth of the fish. Christ rose from the dead, securing justification for us. So we call upon the name of the Lord we will be saved. Because we see what our sins have done, how they have, how, that he has, when we see what our sins have done by putting Jesus on the cross, we see our need for a savior. These are the truths that they heard in which they must abide. They must continue in. And those who abide in this teaching will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And what has he promised? He's promised us eternal life. Jeremiah 30, as we read earlier in Jeremiah 31, that he will forgive our iniquities. That Christ's death satisfied the wrath of God so that when we turn to him and see his great power in saving us, that we'll have eternal life with God. And then this is even more real that a member of my church just passed away the day before Easter. A godly woman now with the Lord. These are important truths which strengthen us in perseverance. 
So here we see abiding in the gospel. The gospel is not just a one-time message for us, and we continue on into the deeper things of theology. The gospel is what makes theology deeper. Because in God's providence, he has ordained the gospel to be the way he saves sinners. And it displays his character and his glory. It displays his love and his power. It shows us who we are and who God called us to be. Only the gospel brings flourishing to humans as we live in the way God has intended us to live in this fallen world. And abiding in these things and seeing the fallenness of this world makes us long for the world to come when we get to dwell with God forever. The Nicene Creed puts it this way, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life to come the new world. These are important truths that helps us. That remaining in the gospel, not being like the false teachers who accepted lies and left of the church. John is calling his readers to abide and continue in the teachings because that's how we have fellowship with God. When we see our sins and we confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us, that's what is important. That's the fellowship we had. That's the abiding that we do. In verse 26, John continues this. He goes, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So we see here these false teachers are trying to deceive and they're trying to pull them away. Again, John or Matthew tells us about this in the Olivet Discourse. So these people, while they seemingly aren't part of the church, they're still teaching and they're still trying to grab. They're still trying to pull the people away to cut off their fellowship with God by having them turn to the things of the world. So he writes these things about the liars who are denying the Christ and that if you deny the Christ, you do not have fellowship with the Father and the Son because people are doing it. This is real. This isn't some high in the sky, a pie in the sky. This isn't John sitting in an ivory, in an ivory telling you, oh, don't, don't, don't deny Christ. Remember that Jesus is Christ. No, this is real war. This is real. This is raw. This is what is happening even today. John, as much as this applies to John's reader, this applies to us. We need to be on the lookout for false teaching because it's here and they want to deceive us. Again, John finishes up with, but the anointing that you received from him, from Christ, abides in you. And you have no need 
that anyone should teach you. Again, he, he really, I'm writing these things because people are trying to deceive you, but you have been anointed. And you have no reason for these false teachers to teach you. Well, why doesn't he have reasons? Well, it's because this, he's anointed by the Holy One, and they have all knowledge. They have the Spirit in them, teaching them and bringing to them the knowledge they need for salvation, not only for their justification when they believed in the gospel, but also through their sanctification and the perseverance in which God does by the Spirit as he conforms us to the image of his Son. Those who walk the way that Jesus walked, as John mentioned earlier in verse 6 in this chapter, but also in glorification when salvation is finally complete in our body and we receive the imperishable body. We have been anointed from the Lord. The Lord has anointed us. And so we have no need for others to teach us because we have the Spirit. Now, we can't go off too far up the rails. But we should consider that this doesn't mean that we just have all knowledge. Now, it's in us, but that doesn't mean it's in our minds. The Spirit, we don't gain the Spirit's nature. in this kind of omniscient way. But what it does tell us is that we can recognize false teaching. And we can know what is true because the, test, the Spirit testifies to us what is true. Romans 8. It is the Spirit's job to teach us but he dwells in us the source of all knowledge dwells in us and teaches us so the anointing that you receive from him abides in you you have no need for you to teach you but as anoint as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and it is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him so we see John flesh this out, bring this out even more. You don't need to be taught because, I mentioned earlier, the Spirit is in you. The anointing teaches you. We've been endowed by the Spirit, and it teaches us. It gives us the truth. That is why in church history we can say that God has, the truth has always been there. There's times when it's gone underground. And then the Reformation dug it back up as the Catholic Church suppressed the true gospel. But even years before the rebel, before the Reformation, and even John Hus, there were Bible-believing Christians hiding out in the mountains in North Italy because of persecution of the Catholic Church, big C Catholic Church. And we can confess that we acknowledge one holy Catholic and apostolic church as the Nicene Creed 
tells us because we believe that the Spirit is the one who holds us together. And as we talked about in the Nicene Creed, show the idea of universal is not just all of the earth at this one particular time, but that this means all of earth across all of time. Every single person who ever believed in the gospel is part of the universal church. From Adam and Eve until the final day. And so the Spirit keeps the truth alive. And so when we see the Reformation, we see the Spirit works in revival. The Reformation is a revival. And so we see the Spirit work. He teaches us everything and is true because he is God. And God cannot lie. There is no falsehood in God. So this anointing from the Son is the Spirit. And there's no lie in him. It's all true. And so John tells us, just as, just as it was taught you, abide in him. And that's the application. To be in fellowship with the Father and the Son is to abide in the Son. This language is used in John 14, talking about the vine and the vine dresser. The vine dresser will come and cut off the bad parts of the vine and toss them away and burn them. Those are the false teachers. They will receive what is due to them. But our call is to abide in Christ, to abide in the gospel, to be abide in the truth that has saved us, but to remain in it. My pastor wrote a book, aptly taught the gospel is for Christians. We should never get old of the gospel. It is the sweet story of how God came down from heaven in the form of Jesus. Casting away the glories of heaven to become a servant. And to die a death more gruesome and reserved only for the worst of the worst of the criminals. And yet he did it to save us. This is the truth we are to abide in. The false teachers, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. The gospel is Jesus is the Christ. He stands ready to save you. And today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So put your trust in Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord. So that has been John chapter 1 versus John, 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 27. How my mind's been... Going off, I've actually been teaching my son John 1 1, so it's, it's very repetitive and tends to happen a lot. 
So thank you for joining on this episode of G220 Radio. We will hopefully all be back next week as we continue our travel through the epistles of John. We've done 1st John and we've done 2nd John and 3rd John. We've now almost done two chapters of 1st John. We got a couple of verses remaining, but they fit really in for next week because verse and chapter head chapter numberings aren't inspired. They're not. Sorry. Anyways, I am Mike. Thank you for joining us today. And for Ricky and Nathaniel who weren't able who were not able to be on the show today. We thank you for all your support. And remember, abide in him. God bless.